Well, it would be great to keep your Bibles open to James chapter 1 as we continue in our series. But first, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word planted in us and we pray that your spirit would be at work today in our hearts and minds, that we'd be able to listen and obey in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, James writes to his dearly loved brothers and sisters in Christ because he longs for their lives to line up with what they believe. And this is what Christian maturity is all about. James points to the cause of our maturity, not a to-do list, but the word of God planted in us, in every Christian, which by the power of the Spirit takes root and grows in our lives. God's word is not just about information, but transformation. So just look at verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This word is the same as the word of truth, which brings life. It is the revelation of Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The word here isn't the compiled Bible as we know it, but all that points to Jesus. For our Bibles don't save us, but the person they point to does. The word being planted in you doesn't mean that every Christian suddenly has instantaneous knowledge of every part of the Bible suddenly implanted in our memory. But we accept the word which reveals the life-giving work of Jesus. We are saved by Jesus' actions and then continually transformed by the power of the Spirit, letting this truth shape our lives. When we accept Jesus, we don't suddenly become puppets, but we are equipped and empowered to cultivate God's word taking root in our lives. A few years ago, my parents left for a long two-year journey around Australia and entrusted their garden to my sister Lucy and I. Now, this was a huge responsibility. Wherever my parents have lived, they've built and nurtured beautiful gardens. And of all the things they left for us to look after, there was a clear rank. The house, well, it was important. Keeping our dog Archie alive was even more important. But most of all, keeping the garden, and especially the roses alive, ranked the highest. Now, we weren't left alone to figure it out. We were given a detailed instruction guide, an invitation to call them at any point we got stuck, a shed full of tools, shelves full of fertilizers, three types of mowers, whippersnippers, an irrigation system, bore water, tank water, and strategically placed hoses. But ultimately, it didn't matter how much we could see that the garden was important if we didn't use what had been given to us. The instruction manual, unfortunately, was not going to keep the roses alive. We were. Week by week, 
we needed to consistently put to use all the tools and information that had been given to us. So how do we cultivate God's word taking root in our lives? James highlights three challenging places to begin. Being slow to anger, inauthentic action, and by controlled speech. From verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. In verse 19, we get a headline summary of the topics that James is going to return to, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But first, let's have a look at being slow to anger. By anger, James doesn't mean frustration, like the internet's not working, but rather it's linked to rage and wrath often directed at someone. Like when someone in your house left the door wide open overnight, you're probably not blaming the weather for the chill that came in. We can think that our anger is only an issue if we act on it, but in Jesus' eyes, we have a bigger problem. It's deeper and more pervasive than we like to think. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Our anger might spill out and be manifest in all sorts of ways. Maybe you're really good at hiding it or not, and it doesn't really matter if others can see it or not. Anger is from the heart and is directed at others. Now, when I hear be slow to anger, it feels like somebody is telling me to calm down when that is really the opposite of what I want to do. I can be quick to think that other people need to hear what is wrong right now. And it doesn't take much reflection to see that we're in a culture that is often shaped by outrage. We combine to the idea that we have the right to express our anger. We have a responsibility to be angry when we think there is injustice against us, no matter how trivial or significant. And we can act like our anger is making the world a better place. And of course, there is a category of righteous anger, of the things we really should be angry about. However, I think when I think about the things that I most often get angry about, I'm pretty sure 99% of them are not righteous anger. Here in Cultivating Slow Anger, we aren't talking about the absence of anger, but moving slowly, even hesitantly, towards anger. So why would slow anger be important? Being slow to anger is one of the characteristics of God repeated throughout the Bible. 
and even in Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. This wasn't the first time he had visited the temple. In verse 20, we see that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Uncontrolled rage damages others. It can damage ourselves and takes the place of the good things that God has prepared for us to do. When we are quick to be angry with others, stewing in our rage against them, dwelling on how they have impacted us, we blind ourselves to see and understand others. In our anger, people become obstacles. Maybe it's that particular family member who just seems to be a mess-making machine, getting in your way of relaxing. Yep, maybe the mess might be inconsiderate, but does it really warrant the fury that is unleashed? If we are quick to hurl our fury at others, we treat people as obstacles, miss the opportunity to do what God desires, and don't leave ourselves space to consider God's will. Slowing down our rage gives us time to check if that is an appropriate response. For we are not called to act by our own standards, but God's. And we are helped in slowing down our anger, for we are not alone. God's word is planted in us not by our own force, but by the work of the Spirit. What was foretold in Ezekiel has now come true in every believer in Jesus. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So what would it look like to partner with the spirit to move slowly towards anger? How would providing more time in responding shape how you reply to that email? How would prayer about or even for an infuriating person alter your perspective? Or how would seeking God's will help you to decide the best next step? Action still might be required. Your anger still might be warranted. But slowing down the pace, partnering with the Spirit, provides us time to align with God's priorities. Continuing from verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. If you have ever had somebody ask you, did you hear what I said? you will probably know that they were not just conducting a hearing check. 
James here is also not concerned about the community's ability to listen, but that they would authentically put into action the word of God. James implores everyone to do what it says, or more literally, be a doer of the word. To make his point clear, James compares someone looking intently at themselves in a mirror with someone who is looking intently at the word. In the first century, mirrors were pretty different. Normally, they were a polished piece of metal. And so, unlike today, you couldn't expect a very good reflection of yourself if you simply walked past a mirror, but you would need to take it and really focus on yourself. Even today, we look into mirrors to do something, to see something that might need fixing. So it would be ridiculous to look into a mirror and then forget what we even look like. In the same way, going to all the effort of intently looking at the word which brings life, only to forget to do anything about it, would also be ridiculous. And in verse 25... James tells us what we should be intently looking into and act upon is the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, the word is not a mirror. We are not looking at ourselves, but at the perfect law. The perfect law here points to all the law and prophecy which is fulfilled in Jesus. And this law gives freedom, as contradictory as that sounds. For the Jewish Christians, these words would immediately remind them of the time that God freed them from slavery and afterwards gave the law as a pattern to love God, be in his presence and love each other. In Christ, we are freed from sin and death and rescued to live and love God forever. Therefore, the command to do all the law says is not given as a killjoy or a burden or a standard to be measured against. For in Christ, we have perfect freedom. The command to be a doer of the word is not meant to be crushing. Jesus does not first command perfect obedience and then saves us. But as we enter a relationship with Jesus and walk with him day by day. Our thoughts, desires, words and actions align with his priorities, which are revealed in the word of God planted in us. And intuitively, we know there's a lot on the line. For when people's actions differ from their words, their hypocrisy is evident for all. No one can stand it when Christians say one thing and then do another. If Christians are known to lie, be selfish, skip the line, seek their own glory, and then claim that they actually care about others, well, it seems pretty pathetic. We know that the truth of the gospel is not dependent on what we do, but it is reasonable that what we believe shapes our actions and that other people might be able to see that. Maturity as a disciple will include growing in our knowledge and love of God's word. But it isn't only about what we know. It matters how we act. 
growing in maturity as disciples will mean that our lives are shaped by, patterned after, and point to Jesus. And positively, we know that there's a lot on the line for relationships grow and deepen through action. We are not left alone to figure out how to act, but we are given the Holy Spirit, the advocate who comes alongside us, teaching us and guiding us. In the same breath that Jesus calls us to obey all he has taught, he also promises that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. We're not going to get this perfect all the time, but we can have confidence that Jesus, who is with us, is gentle, compassionate, and has already gone ahead, forgiving all our mistakes through his death on the cross. In complete freedom, by the power of the Spirit, we can authentically live out the word planted in us. Would you look with me from verse 26? Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Christian maturity is cultivating the planted word in our heart by slow anger, in our actions when they line up with our beliefs, and now through our mouths by controlled speech. Despite the schoolyard taunt that sticks and stones may break your bones but words can never hurt you, Words can pierce, wound, and hurt. No doubt some of us here are carrying wounds caused by words, or we have said words that have left scars on others, even those we most love. In focus in verse 26 is particularly the direction and the control of our words. So just as a rein on a horse provides direction and control, control over our tongues by what we say and what we don't say, either poisons or nurtures our growth as disciples. In verse 26, religious doesn't mean pompous or strict, but it simply defines any system of belief. Hasty, explosive speech can render any religion worthless. If we then, as Christians, let our speech pour out of us uncontrolled, then we prevent people from seeing the goodness of Jesus. We hinder the very work of the Spirit, whose fruit is self-control. In verse 27, we see the trajectory of the Word of God planted and bearing fruit in the lives of individuals and communities. Walking with Jesus in step with the Spirit, through the condition of our hearts towards others, through the use of our hands and through the control of our mouths, naturally leads to the care of the most helpless, here being widows and orphans, and an awareness of how to navigate a world 
that prioritizes things differently. Growing in maturity in Christ should lift our eyes to see those who are in need and respond. And our actions will bear the marks of Christ, being gentle, controlled and considered. Of course, verse 27 is not meant to be a summary of all Christian action, but strongly reflects the character of God, who is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. I'm sure we each know a person who in their every interaction, it seems like Christ's peace and love just flows out from them. In the face of obstacles, they calmly assess the situation. There seems to be no gap between what they say and do, and their words are always refreshing and life-giving even. And it's not that they're perfect, but that their witness seems so consistent. And we can be tempted to write them off as somebody who doesn't feel the same sense of urgency or rage that we do, or that they were simply born like that, which would be far less challenging. But of course, this isn't the case. This is the fruit of working alongside the Spirit that God's planted word would flourish. And the good news is that we probably don't need to wait long for an opportunity, maybe today or this week, to try out slow anger, authentic action and controlled speech. Maybe you might just want to focus on one of those and praying for God's help would be a great place to start. In Christ, we have everything we need. Nothing more from us is required to be saved. But as we, in humility, accept the word of God, we are invited to partake in a life that grows and flourishes, a relationship with God that is deep, and invites others into through how we respond, act and speak, that we too would have lives that line up with what we believe. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you long for us to grow and flourish as followers of Jesus. Thank you that this is not something we are left alone to do, but that you give us everything we need to grow in maturity through the word planted in us, the spirit at work in us, and the presence of Jesus with us. Lord, as we go out into our front lines this week, please grow in us a desire to move slowly towards anger. Help our actions to be consistent with our faith and help us to control our speech for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.